open there. We'll be back in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6. And, and this time last week, we were listening to Brother Kurt LeBeau do some singing and doing some preaching, and I really enjoyed getting to, to be with him and, and uh, the blessing he was. And, and the whole, uh, and also Brother Paul, as he, uh, small Paul, as he was here Monday and Tuesday. I thought that was a blessing, but I'm glad to get back into kind of the flow of things with everything but uh tonight we're going to be in hebrews chapter number six as we continue our our series on the idea of how jesus is greater and um there's certain chapters of the bible that if you're not careful can be very not just difficult to read i would say could be easily misunderstood uh i think we all know and maybe at times been that way where we took parts of scripture and only find out that's not exactly how that part of scripture was meant and you know me, uh, I'm big on context. You need to know what the Bible's saying, what the passage is saying, what the time is, and what's going on with the passage. And um, last time we met, we were finishing up Hebrews chapter 5 and, and looked at some good things there. But I like to start reading here in Hebrews chapter number 6, beginning in verse number 1. It says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptism and of laying on of hands and a resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. Lord, I just pray you'd help us as we look at your word tonight that you would speak clearly uh, through it, Lord. May I just not be in the way. And Father, we do just thank you for all that you've done, Lord. Lord, there's people that are struggling, Lord, those that are going through different hardships in life, pray you help them. Lord, I know there's people in this room that probably have a lot on their mind, a lot on their heart, Lord, uh, maybe some things that are physical, financial, spiritual, emotional. Lord, I pray you'd help there. And just give us a little bit of a respite, I ask, Father, please, in these next few moments we have together. Lord, we do thank you so much. Lord, just as much as we prayed for safety and delivery of Silas, Lord, we praise you just as equally how you brought this child into this world and, and gave Miss Mahdi safety and, and uh, Silas safety. Father, we thank you so much for that. Thank you for being uh, the God of life. And Lord, I pray you'd help us in these few moments. Lord, help me especially, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so tonight we're going to look at a little bit of the topic of anchor of the soul. And there's just basically three particular points I want us to look at tonight, kind of running through this chapter. But when you read the first three verses that I just read, there wasn't probably verses you're like, wow, right there. There's some great truth right there. In fact, these first three verses are very uh, confusing to a lot of times to people. Because if you look here, it says, verse 1, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on. That doesn't seem to make sense, does it? Leaving the principles and the doctrines of Christ. Now, you have to remember something. We have a Bible that's broken into chapters, right? And you have to understand that this letter that's written to the Hebrews is not broken into different chapters. It's into different paragraphs, different sections. And when it says the word therefore, that's the important word in these first three sentences, first three verses. Therefore, it means because of what I just said. And what were those things he just said? You remember we looked at uh, two weeks ago? It talked about the idea of not being dull of hearing. It talked about the idea in verse number 12 of chapter 5. That when you ought to be teaching the word of God, you still need somebody to teach you about the elementary things of God. Saying that we were still, that some of these people that uh, Paul was talking to, I believe Paul wrote Hebrews, that the idea that they were still in the milk of the word and they never graduated to the meat. 
They never dove into the book. They never got into the things. They never really committed to being a follower of Christ and get into the meatier things of the word. To say it like this, they stayed for a long time shallow Christians. And by the way, there is a danger in your life and in my life to be very content with where we're at spiritually. It's like this is as deep as I want to go. Now, uh, I remember when I was a kid and was swimming and stuff, and and even now I found out, you know, um, uh, my wife is like this sometimes. She, the kids will talk her into if we go go swimming or something, that she'll get in the water a little bit, and she's like, I'm fine right here. And they're like, oh, mom, come on out, come on out. You go out a little more, and you get around the waist. And eventually, I know what they want to do. Them little heathens want to dunk her under the water is what they want to do. And you know what? And she's like, you know, I don't want to get my hair messed up, you know, and, and all this stuff. And I'm right here. And finally, you just like, go out. No, no, I'm fine right here. I'm not going any further right here. I might mess something up. I'm staying right here. Now, on the flip side of that spiritually, sometimes we get into the water and the deeper we get into the word, it kind of sometimes makes us feel uncomfortable. So we know what that, that's conviction. That's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, the more you become like Christ, it means the less I am become like this world, which I am a whole lot like the world. So I have to be more like Christ means I have to get a little bit deeper in the water. I have to trust a little bit more. And what he was talking about in the chapter 5 is that the ones that get strong meter, those that are maturing, those that are developing, you know, it's interesting we kind of review this after Silas comes into the world. You know, they didn't bring in the first meal for him saying, boy, we got a T-bone steak for you. Here you go. I'm pretty sure Nico been knocking people over to get the T-bone steak. I get that. They didn't cut it up. Even the smallest bite, they didn't cut it up to give Silas his first. They didn't do that. Well, no, no, he's not ready for that. He's not mature enough for that. Now, Aaron's nine, right? So Aaron comes in to see, and they, and see Aaron comes in like, oh, Aaron, we're so glad you're here. We got the formula? Okay, good, Aaron. Here you go. Here you go. Why don't you drink your bottle? We'd be going, this family's messed up, is what we'd be saying, right? And that's the same connotation that Scripture's saying, is that if after we become believers, we ought to grow, grow, grow in the milk of the word, but we ought to be able to continue pushing ourselves to go deeper and to go deeper into the word and that we don't need to stay and be happy with where we're at spiritually. And so anyways, that's what he's talking about when he says, therefore, therefore we leave the principles of the doctrines of God. What that's saying is the idea of this, the first point I have kind of the idea is, is going on in maturity, going on in maturity is what he's talking about here in chapter six, because you have been saved. You've been taught the basics of who Jesus is his crucifixion, his resurrection, salvation by grace and faith. He says, because of those things, it's time to move on to other things. It's time to move on to the deeper things of Scripture. That's why he says here, let us go on, verse verse 1, let us go on into perfection. That word perfection there means to maturity, to completeness. Now you say, I'm never going to be perfect. God is not telling us in this passage, that you're going to move on to being perfect like we think flawless. He says, but he does expect us to move on to being more spiritually mature, being more spiritually complete in that. And he says these things such as repentance from dead works and, and our faith towards God and the doctrines of baptism, laying on of hands, all these rituals and things, says all these elementary things that you've probably known since you first come to faith in Christ, it's time to grow. I mean, can you imagine, in a sense, if every time you came to church, 
I basically said, now God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let me tell you that God loves you. God sent his son for you. He died on the cross for you. He rose again from the dead. And if you would pray and ask Jesus Christ to be your savior, and that's all my sermon was, which obviously that's the gospel. That's great, right? But if I did that Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, there would not be much of a crowd. Why? Because we're saved, right? Because we know Jesus came. We know all these things that we just got through. We know the basics of the faith. And so he's saying, since you know these things, let's keep going. Let's go on to the harder things as far as that. Let's go on to those things that are more. Let's get away from those things that we should understand. He said things such as, it talks about baptism and laying on of hands. That's talking about routine and rituals of purification they would do. And he talked about the resurrection. And he talked about eternal judgment. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong. In fact, I think we need to be constantly reminded that there is a wonderful place called heaven. There's a horrible place called hell. But he's saying that we should understand that we shouldn't never come back to it. But we need to grow. We need to go forward. Why? Because the Christian life, we are saved, but now we got to know how to live it, right? Because a lot of times, why do people stay where they're at? They're saved. They understand the doctrine of salvation, but they never go forward in maturity. So when the tough time comes, we're not like Christ. We go right back to the world. And so that's when he says here, and this we will do if God permit. And so he's talking about those things there just to understand and let us go on into maturity. And I just wanted to mention that just so because a lot I've had people, friends of mine come up and say, hey, look right here. It says we need to leave all these things. Everything Jesus taught, we need to leave that. There's a new gospel. And I'm like, no, you don't understand what that passage is saying uh, with that. But let me go on because verse number nine, the second point I want to see tonight is the idea of loving people. Now, I'm building to something here. Ver- point number three, the last point is really where I want to hit home. And it really is probably this one. And point three are probably, to me, the biggest struggles that I face right now. And probably you two sitting on a Wednesday night in church, <laughs> okay? But the idea of loving people, Paul has spent the first five chapters and some of the verses in ch- chapter six telling them what? Hold fast your faith. Hold fast your faith. Don't let it drift. Consider Jesus. And he's a whole time he's doing this, trying to get them to turn, turn back to God because they're starting to turn away in their faith. Now look at verse number nine. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though, though we thus speak. Now let me tell you what this is saying. Right? And this is a verse that really probably don't mean a whole lot to a lot of people, but there's something here. Do you ever think, some, if I say the term discipleship, discipling somebody, do you, do you know what I mean a little bit? It's somebody that is a believer and you're trying to help them grow as a believer. Paul, this whole letter is saying, let me disciple you. You are saved. You've kind of went forward. You went back. You went forward. You went back. You're just baby Christians, even though you've been saved probably 10, 15, 20 years. And finally, he gets to this point, And the only time you see this word is mentioned in verse 9. It's the word beloved. Beloved means the one whom I love. Like, you go home tonight, you look at your children, you say, they are my beloved. They're the ones for whom I love, those whom I have affection for. You know, that's what the term is, beloved. And, and what Paul is talking about here is the idea of this. He's like, we have got to go forward in our walk with Christ. And he says, here's why. He said, beloved, 
because I am persuaded there are more and better things for you in this life than just the milk of the word. There's things that are better. There are things that are more for God that we need to understand, the things we need to step out in faith, those things about not just salvation, but the things about salvation. Let me ask you a question. When you got saved, did you really understand a lot about it? You just know you want to get saved. (laughs) You want Jesus. That's what I want. I want salvation, right? I want salvation. Now, you've been saved for a little while. Do you understand a little bit more what salvation is now than you did when you first got saved? Now, let me ask you this. Do you think there's more about salvation than you even know now? Yeah. To understand there's more about salvation than what you know now, and definitely more than what you knew back when you first got saved, the question is, are you going to pursue it? Because here's why you pursue it. As we talk about our titles, the idea of anchoring of the soul is because there are so many people who put a faith and trust in Christ that you will not see in church a year after they get saved, six months after they get saved, after all this, because they don't pursue a maturity. And part of pursuing maturity involves what Paul is about to do, which I have to do in my life, and this is a struggle for me. You know what he does here, Paul does in verse 9? He loves people. And I say, what do you mean? Now, when I say love people, I ain't talking about I'm going to go up to Mr. Doug and say, hey, I know you need 10 bucks. I'm going to give you 10 bucks. When he says, but beloved, we are persuaded, verse 9, better things for you, that means this. That means I love Brother Doug. He is a brother in Christ to me. If I see Brother Doug going out of the way, I'm going to love him enough. Brother Doug, there's things in Christ that, that are better for you than the way you're going. Let me love you enough to try to help you get back on track. But also, it's the same token back the other way. You know, Eric may say, hey, I need to talk to Phil. I see some things in his life. You're saying, wait a minute, would he talk to the pastor? I am made of the same stuff you are. I am tempted in the same way that you are. And if he sees something in my life that concerns him, he ought to love me enough. I ought to be a beloved of him, one whom he loves. Brother Doug, I'll be one whom I love that he comes up and we take the risk of helping somebody by loving them. Now, what's the hard thing about talking to somebody, confronting somebody when they're in the wrong? They're going to get mad, right? They're going to get mad. They get mad, why? Because you call their thing call their thing out, whatever it is. Uh, what does it also turn into? Well, who do you think you are? I know you are. Boom, 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 boom. I've actually had people like that. God's like, you really need to talk to them in the past and talk to them and talk to them. And I say, hey, let me talk to you. I got some concerns, but I love you. And I want to tell you some things I see right now that I don't see that are good. And they're like, well, yeah, but in your life, haven't you? Boom, boom, boom. I say, yes, that's great. But we're not talking about me right now. I'm trying to talk about you. And if you feel like you need to talk about that in my life, I will welcome that in my life for you to talk to me about it. But I think sometimes part of growing in maturity is we grow because there are people that we love that God says, like he's using Paul here to this group of Hebrews, saying we've got to help persuade them there's things that are more in salvation. There's things more in their walk with Christ. Things are more, and it's like taking the risk. I mean, you think about it. All of us probably right now can think about people in our life that either, one, aren't saved or are saved in going the wrong direction, if I could just say it like that. And think to yourself, what is the thing that keeps you from calling them and saying, hey, 
you mind if we just get coffee one day? Hey, you want to come over to the house for dinner? And, and just maybe take an opportunity and love, love on them enough to tell them what's going on. Why, what, what's the thing that keeps us from that? Fear of rejection. You know, fear of, you know, maybe losing that relationship. But here's the thing what Paul's saying. I love you enough to tell you when I think you're going the wrong way. Now, very few times in my life, have I had anybody correct me that I looked at and said, thank you, come again soon. But I've had many, many times in my life where people have corrected me, they've done the right heart, the right spirit, they love me. That later on I picked up the phone or shot them a text saying, thanks for loving me enough to tell me the truth. And to us to truly grow a maturity, to grow in our salvation and understanding salvation more is to know to really love people is to love people enough to tell them the truth and that's hard now that's why we read paul and we're like dude you had no sensitivity at all man i mean you just boom boom and, and i i admit sometimes paul comes across a little harsh but no one could say that paul was guilty of not sharing the truth with people he did that to the day he died now, it's not like you're going to go home tonight and say, man, Brother Phil told me I'm going to call this person and just let them have it, everything that's wrong with them. That is not what I said. But Paul stops the only time you read in this letter, which is a pretty reprimanding letter, if we're honest. He says, beloved, we are persuaded that there is greater things for you than what you're doing right here. You know, I've had to do that sometimes with my kids. They get off track and I look at them and I, I say, you know what? I don't say you're better than that. You ever people say you're better than that? Here's the truth. I'm not better than anything. I am capable of anything in my life. I'm capable of any sin in my life. But I say Christ is better than that. He is better than what you're looking for in this, looking for in that. And that's part of the issue is loving people enough. That's a challenge I have every Sunday, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, is getting up and not just love. It's kind of, what's the verse? Uh, speak the truth in love we live in a day that a lot of people want to speak the truth with no love or want to speak the love with no truth when both are needed you know i also think this if you could surround yourself with with five godly people in your life that love you enough to show you grace yet tell you the truth you're a blessed person if you got just five i mean ones that'll show you grace when you're trying to do what's right and you messed up hey that's great but also people that love you enough to grab you and say hey what are you doing here? And that's the thing. Part of growing is, is maturing. And because and cause it goes back to this. If, if talking about um, going on, look back in chapter 6, verse 1. This is why I know it's love. What does Paul say? Catch the word here. Verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go, unto, go on into perfection. He doesn't say you go on into perfection he says let us go together let's go together it's something about when someone's willing to take you by the hand and walk with you in what you're doing paul's saying let's both keep going i need to go in, on into maturity you need to go on in maturity and seeing those things okay so that's a couple of things we see there is that and that's hard you know that's difficult we're about to be at thanksgiving you're going to be around a lot of family that you love and and those that you're related to 
and other people and all that good stuff. And you're like, Brother Phil, I have no problems around my family speaking the truth. Maybe ask God to dump a load of love on top of that as you do it. I'm going to have the opportunity. I just found out I'm like super excited about. I'm actually for the first time in about five years going to be around my dad's side of the family, the extended side of the family. We had a blast growing up as kids. We were crazy. I'm amazed most of us are still upright, to be honest with you. Last time I saw many of them, just to be honest, my heart broke. Many of you have same family situation. And so ever since I got the call yesterday that, hey, we're all getting together Thursday at 6 o'clock, I was, like, excited, and I thought to myself, and then I read this passage. How much do you love them? How much do you love them? You're like, well, you know, it's just a meal. Just endure the meal and go on. Just endure whatever it is and go on. Just, just, just keep the peace, right? But I got this problem. I've been reading Revelation because of what I've been studying for Sunday school. And the more I get to the back of that book, the more I'm like, hmm, you know, it's not the pretty stuff of Scripture. So I want to speak the truth in love. And I pray for you guys every time you get to be around your family. I ask that maybe you do the same thing for me coming up this, this next. So this is, like I said, the first time in a long, long time I get to be around them. But if I'm going to go on in maturity, then I've got to realize it's us going together. But I've got to be have that beloved mentality. I've got to speak the truth and love and do those things so the last point i want to see here is this and i know it kind of the chapter jumps a little bit but the end of chapter six is really interesting the end of chapter six just to give you just a little bit of backstory here paul wants to be encouragement to those that are doing right you ever sometimes feel like man he's just those that are doing wrong he's just beating up those that are doing wrong what about the ones that are doing right <laughs> you know what about them and this is where i want to be an encouragement tonight is this when you get to verse 13 on down through verse 20, uh, he's referring to Abraham. Now, by the way, we're going, going through Abraham's life on Sunday nights. Me and Micah and uh, Will, we're rotating, going through the life of Abraham. I'm not going to go through all of that, obviously. But just to give you an idea of understanding, talking about Abraham and the promise that God gave Abraham that he and Sarah would have, have a son, okay? So when we look at this verse here, verse number 13, look what it says. For when God made promise to Abraham... Now, what was the promise? The promise that he's going to have a son, and that son, through that son, the whole earth be blessed. Go on. Because he could not swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. Now, when you read through all this, it's really easy to get lost, but there's some cool things right here that will anchor your soul, okay, that I want to help you with uh, tonight in this passage, but I didn't want to skip the first part is that you know, long story short, God tells Abram, Abraham, Abram, you and Sarah, uh, I'm going to make of you a great nation, and that all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed by you. Uh, your descendants will be like the stars of the sky, all of that. And they're without kids. By the way, do you know how long it was from the time God told Abraham, I will bless you with Isaac, or with the son, to the time he had him? 25 years. 25 years. So God gave Abraham not just a promise, but a promise that he'd been wanting for years. You will have a son. Sarah, you will have a son. You'll have the son together. And that was huge in that culture. Not having children 
They almost looked like you would have been cursed, so to speak, if you didn't have children in those days. And God told them the promise, you will have a children, you will have a son, the whole thing will be happen, everybody be blessed because of you, the Savior of the world will come through you, everything. 25 years. 25 years. And so when we read this verse, when it says this, for when God made the promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. Now, that may not mean much to you, but here's what he's saying here when I read this. When he says here, I this is God, he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself. I don't know if you grew up doing this or not. I remember as a kid, if, if someone asked you something and they didn't believe you, go, oh, I swear on uh, my grandma's grave. You know, oh, I swear on this. I swear, you know, I swear, I swear on the Bible. You know, you hey, give me a Bible. I'll swear on the Bible. What did you always do when you made that promise, that swear? You always sweared on something that was more, that was higher than you, right? Because if someone says, well, I swear on my little sister's grave. You're like, <laughs> I don't care about the little sister, okay? Whatever. You always made it like it was something greater than you, more important than you. Now, understand what he's saying here. God promised Abraham a son but God promised it on his own name. He said, I swear by me. And there's nothing greater than God. It's not like God could say, well, I swear on, well, no, I actually made that. Well, I swear, no, I created that too. He says, I swear that if I lie, I am not God. And that's pretty huge. He says, Abraham, the promise I give you, I I swear by who I am that I will give you what I promised you. And he took that upon himself, and, and that's the understanding here. And that's huge, because like in our day, and you, like I said, you may remember, I pinky swear. You know, Chloe did that to me the other day. Do you promise? Do you pinky swear? And you know what? That didn't seem like a whole lot. In Old Testament day, to swear upon something or someone was huge. In those days, if you said, for instance, hey, I swear upon the life of my family, if they found out you lied, guess who paid the price? Your family. That's how serious that terminology was of making a promise and covenant. We are nowhere in that ballpark in our world today <laughs> as far as being that my word is my bond. And we're like, great, I want to see it in writing. You know, is what we want to say. So it would be kind of like me saying, if I say, hey, I swear on my daughter's grave, I swear on the life of Maggie and Chloe, if I really meant that if I'm wrong, that you could take the life of my girls, I wouldn't throw that out very flippantly, would I? That'd be something that was dead serious. And God says this, the promises that I make to you, Abraham, I promise them because if I'm wrong, then I'm not God. And you say, well, what's the big deal with that? The big deal with that is this, and this is where I really want to hit. Let's just be honest. Is it just me or sometimes the promises of God in your life and in my life, don't sometimes they just seem to take a long time to happen? Doesn't it seem like those things that in Scripture, those promises that we cling to, that God said this and God promised, don't it sometimes just feel like, God, is this ever going to happen? I mean, God, are you ever going to do this? You know, it just seems like it takes longer to really come to fruition. You know, when you're going through something and someone says, oh, don't worry, the pain goes away. 
oh, the healing's going to come. Maybe that fullness is going to come. Maybe that contentment's going to come. Excuse me, maybe that closeness is going to come. And it almost seems like it's not coming at all. Doesn't it sometimes, and I'm just trying to be real tonight. I'm not trying to get you to doubt God. I'm just trying to be honest. Doesn't it feel like sometimes in life, the promises that we, that we sing about, that we talk about, that we read about, that we preach about, that we reiterate to our children, doesn't it sometimes seem like the promises of God take forever to get here? And Abraham was one of those guys that God promises. He promised those things to him. And it took him, it took God 25 years. I try to wrap my brain around that. I try to wrap my brain around God saying, hey, it's not like God saying, hey, I'm going to give you this land. God knew the greatest desire in the heart of Abraham and Sarah was for a child. There was nothing greater that they wanted. God knew it, and God said, the thing that you want the most in life, I'm going to give it to you because you're beyond being able to do it for yourself. And I got to think about Abraham. God didn't say, hey, by the way, 25 years, you're going to get it. He didn't tell him when. And so you think about Abraham's life. And by the way, I love reading Abraham's life. It's like every other chapter, Abraham messes up <laughs> big time. But then Abraham goes back. He messes up. He goes back. I love how God shows me the highlights and the low times in people's life to let me know that. And, and so when I see this, like I said, sometimes you just wonder, is all this going to work out? You know, is all this going to happen? Or it, maybe if you ever thought this, let me ask this. Have you ever got victory over that secret thing in your life? I mean, that sin in your life, that's that secret thing, and you got victory over it. You mean God convicted you. You cried. God, I'm giving this to you. And you do well for five or six weeks. And then all of a sudden, you're, it just seems to scream out to you that one day that you don't expect it worse than it ever has. And you just find yourself thrown right back into it. You're saying, wait a minute, God, I want victory. I, you promised victory. You promised for you. And it seems like you get victory just for a little bit, and then it just happens again. Or uh, this, is it, or maybe you ever thought about this. Maybe somebody in your life that you're just bitter against, that you're angry against, and you just thought to yourself, okay, God, I'm just going to give this to you. I'm going to give up my rage. I'm going to give up my anger. God, I forgive them. And then 15 days later, they do something. You're like, oh, I hate them with a passion. No, like, oh, no, 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 God, I didn't mean that. God, I, I forgave them, God. I'm really, I'm really not. God, I, I'm sorry. God, no, 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 I don't hate them. And doesn't it feel like sometimes those things God promises in Scripture just feels like, am I ever going to have that fulfillment? Am I ever going to have that peace? And, and, and the thing I think we need to understand is it's, we live in a give-me-now society. I mean, Abraham's day... I think everywhere they walked, and I mean, they cruised at about 10 miles an hour, you know, about what they did. The day we live in, you get shot at if you do 60 in the far left lane, you know, kind of thing. Everything we live in right now is like, now, give it to me now. I want it fixed now. That's why a lot of times you see people fall out of church because they come into church all jacked up, and I want to get it fixed now, and they confess it now, and they go out, and because they don't have these warm, fuzzy feelings, and because temptation doesn't stop coming, they think, oh, and they just fall back into it and go on to understand that sanctification is a process. Maturing is a process. I mean, I would love to look at my children tonight and say, in the morning, for the rest of your life, 
you're going to make your bed, brush your teeth, clean your room, not hit anyone else that lives in this household. And you're going to be very respectful to everyone in this house, especially your mother, because when you're not respectful to her, I'm not going to be respectful to you. I mean, I, I could just unload everything that they need to do and go to bed at night. And if I wake up in the morning thinking that those four children are going to do that the rest of their life, I'm stupid. Why is it that we think just because we go to church, hear a sermon that moves us and we make a decision, read our Bible, and God speaks to us, if that's the only time that we combat those struggles in life, why is it that we're so perplexed whenever we're still struggling with that secret sin the next day? That we're struggling with that hard attitude the next day. We're struggling with bitterness the next day. We're struggling with a pull to be not faithful to God the next day. Because sanctification, maturity, is a process. It's a process. But so are the promises of God. It's a process. Let me ask you a question. If God says, hey, Abraham, we're going to give you and Sarah a baby. Nine months from then, they had a baby. We say, glory, hallelujah. How much more of a miracle is it 25 years later when he's 100 and she's 90? How much more does Abraham's faith scream a better sermon than he could ever say to those that were around him that said for 25 years, yeah, I messed up, but I still kept growing and going forward and loving people and I kept glorifying God. Which one do you think did a better testimony? That one. And a lot of times we don't understand why God doesn't do the give me now thing because it makes faith a little bit sweeter. It makes hope a little bit better. And, you know, I think to myself, you know, just to be honest with you, there's some things in my life that I struggle with. There's, you know, the thoughts that I have, meaning my doubts and my questions, you know, a lot of times. There's things that I hope I don't pass down to my kids. I hope when I'm dead and buried, it goes in the ground with me. You know what I mean? Like there's some things that my questions where I question God, don't have faith in God like I should. I hope that I don't pass those down. There's things that, you know, I question God about and don't have faith in God about that I hope my kids far exceed me in. And what I want us to understand is the idea that whenever we were wondering, God, where are you? There's a group of people that he's talking to here, and there's a group of people he's not talking to, and I'll close with this, this thought, if you would. If you're here tonight, and you come to church, and you've got junk in your life, if I can say it like that, but you're continuing to walk in disobedience with that junk in your life, and you're not making it right, and you're sitting here wondering, God, where are you at? Why are you going so slow? Can I tell you something? God's not the one going slow. You are. God's probably sitting there saying, hey, won't you admit this? Won't you acknowledge this sin? Won't you get it right with me? Let's start the healing process now. See, the thing is, a lot of times we're like, God, where are you? And I still got junk in my life. I don't want to get right. And God's like, I can't move till you do. I can't start, I can't start the healing process until you allow yourself to be healed i can't do that and so we can't just say hey god why are your promises so slow it's because i'm the one being slow and i growing with him but if you're here tonight 
and to your best of your ability, you're walking in obedience. You're trying to live a life that's pleasing to God. There's something that God wants you to understand in reading this passage of Scripture, and it's verse number 18. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Okay, say, Phil, what in the world are you talking about? If you're here tonight, and this is what I want to encourage you with, okay? If you're here tonight, and to the best of your ability, you're walking in obedience, you're growing in your faith in the Lord, but it feels like the promises of God and this whole process of becoming more like Christ is so slow and the promises seem so far away there's something i believe god is trying to say in this passage to you tonight he cannot lie don't lose hope don't give up can i tell you people that fall out of church a lot of times are not people that fall out because they have these huge sins and things in their life it's people that finally gave up hope because they're like where's god And I want you to understand tonight that there are going to be dark days. Hey, it might have been one year, two years, five years, but God is saying, I'm not forgotten about you. I know the dark side of things in your life are so loud today, but he's not forgotten about you in your life. And that this hope that God cannot lie needs to resonate in your life. Because I know so often I preach and I preach to people, either you need to get saved. Hey, if you're not in, if you're, if you got sin in your life and you get sin right. But if I'm just being honest with you tonight, I think a lot of times we forget to say, hey, to the best of my ability, there's not sin in my life. I'm trying to walk in a way that pleases God, but I am so discouraged by people and things in my life, and I wonder sometimes, where are these promises? Where is I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee? Where is it that those that are just will not be forsaken? Where, where is train up a child in the way she go when he's old and not depart? Where, where is that? And I think the promise comes back to Hebrews where God says, I can't lie. If you'll be faithful unto me, then he'll reward our faith. That God is not a liar. And maybe tonight, just as we close, maybe tonight, if you're struggling with something, I know I mentioned earlier, if you're struggling, you got junk in your life, maybe you need to find somebody. I tell you, if you need to find somebody, Find somebody, ask them to pray for you, pray with you, build some accountability in your life. For people you know in your life that really need to have some issues, they need to get help, tell them to get help. They need counseling, get counseling. You need anything you need to get, get what you need to get. But what I want us to understand is this, that God is not a liar. But I won't look at you and say that I'm struggling because I just don't feel like God's answering my prayers. But in my heart, that is a huge temptation a lot of days. Because you ever try to do right, do right, do right, and then you just get that one thing or that one person just comes and just totally just knocks you on your rear end. And I just want you, maybe tonight this, maybe as we pray here and go, maybe you just need to tell yourself, he's not a liar. He's not a liar. Maybe that thing you're struggling with in your life, that sin or maybe that temptation or or maybe that person in your life that you're angry with, maybe you just need to repeat to yourself, God is not a liar.
and that he desires for us to have him as the anchor of our souls. And whatever God promises us, he will fulfill it. Like I said, with Abraham, and we'll get into him on Sunday night, 25 years. I don't think I have the faith of Abraham. God says, I'll give you the desire of your heart, but it's going to be, you're going to have to wait and see it. So maybe we have some of that anchor for the soul tonight. Appreciate you being here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the night. Thank you for this time we can be together. Lord, I